You're listening to The New Paris. I'm your host, Lindsay Tremuda. Okay, here's some real talk. I know little to nothing about French cinema, but I do know that when the actor Jean-Paul Belmondo died in September, it came as a massive loss to a lot of French people. As it happens, talking about Belmondo online and what little I knew about him connected me to someone who knows quite a lot about French cinema. And that's when I thought maybe it's time to finally do an episode on film. But not just any discussion. I've brought on Laure Astorian, an assistant professor of French at Bentley University, a specialist in French cinema, an occasional translator, and a current Fulbright research scholar in Paris. Her research looks at the role of imperial ethnography in shaping 1960s French cinema. We'll be talking about that, her connection to France, and how the new wave movement contributes to a modern understanding of French society. So with that, let's go to the movies. Laure, welcome to the show. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. To, to, to preface a little bit, you and I were going to speak about French cinema. Um, I know that mm-hmm. is your you know, field of study and research. Um, and also, we had been talking online um, about Jean-Paul Belmondo, whose recent death uh, in early September uh, highlighted just how much of a, a sort of epic figure he was to the French. Right. I think I, I don't, I certainly didn't realize he was so beloved. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, you and I shared some messages <laughs> in, in Instagram. <laughs> um, and that got us talking about your background. But um, for listeners to know, uh, Laura and I met up ahead of this to actually discuss this, this chat, I mean, to discuss sort of how, how we would talk about French cinema. And it turns out we have a lot of other things to talk about, um, one of which yep. being your very particular connection to France. Um, so maybe let's start there, and then we'll get into your your work. But um, you are half French, but it's not quite as black and white as that either, <laughs> exactly. right? So can you talk a little bit about what your connection is to France? Yes. So I was born and raised in California, Um, But my dad is French. I'm a French citizen through my dad, but he's actually Armenian of origin, um, ethnically. And um, my mother is Armenian from Lebanon. So both of my parents actually speak French, um, but we spoke Armenian at home. Yet it was important, I think, to my father um, that I remain connected with French culture, that I learned the language. Um, and uh, so he made sure that that happened. <laughs> and and does that mean then, I mean, you know, that you spent, I don't know, a, a big chunk of each year coming back to France? Or what was the st- sort of split in time like um, when mm-hmm. you were growing up? So I did spend a few summers or a chunk of a few summers in Nice where my grandmother lived. But um, actually what happened is that my dad was a grad student when I was a child. And thanks to the French government, he was able to put me in a bilingual French school. So I spent most of my elementary school uh, in a French school. And that's how I learned French. So in California? In California, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So and you would, uh, you would come back over though to see family um and not that often not yeah. that often okay no. so because obviously your name sounds 
Yes. Um, you know, obviously very <laughs> and practical. It is. <laughs> and it is. And that's, that was sort of my first yeah. indicator that, you know, your, your, your background is going to lead to all here. sorts of, of, of conversations. Um, yeah. But that also means that you have a different upbringing, for example, than I must have mm-hmm. in the U.S., given that both my parents were born in the U.S. Um, right. You know, and so kind of curious how that family structure shaped your, I guess, your your impressions and your opinions of both cultures, because effectively mm-hmm. you were part of, I mean, uh, yes, Armenian culture as well, but but the two big countries uh, of your, I guess, of your, your immediate family, France and, and the U.S. So what, mm-hmm. you know, how did you find that insider outsider kind of mm-hmm. experience? Um, I think I was always a little bit confused, to be honest, <laughs> because um, when, but it made me very attentive, I think. Um, and I do think that's part of why I ended up doing what I do, which is, you know, analyzing <laughs> images and, and texts and so on. But um, yeah, it was confusing. I, I do think it's a richesse, as the French say, like in retrospect, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to have access to, to different cultures. Um, you know, yeah, it was confusing because at home we spoke Armenian and my parents insisted on that. And, and I think that was a, a, a good decision. And, and I honestly, I commend them for being wise enough not to fall into the trap of saying, well, if we speak our language, then our child is going to have difficulty learning other languages, which is a, right. which is a myth. Um, it's pos- it actually facilitates, um, language learning, but, you know, I, my father was, you know, connected to France. So like at, at home, we would listen to Georges Brassens, to Barbara. Um, we would watch French films. And my mother actually, among other languages, was a French teacher. <laughs> so, ah, okay. um, and they actually met in Paris in, in college. So there were all these connections. I think I never quite felt American. I mean, I think that's true. Um, but when I, I mean, let's not fast forward too much, but when I came to France for study abroad to Paris, uh, in college, I can't say that I felt French either. Um, but now, you know, later on, I actually feel like, you know, connected to all of these cultures, you know, I, and I think it's just that there's more depth and nuance than we, initially see when we're a mm-hmm. child you know we can't really make sense of it all but the reality is that american culture is incredibly diverse and um the image that it has around the world is you know can be very uh reductive for lack of a, a better word mm. word i mean culture in, in you know even in california the state of california the culture uh, in, you know, the East Bay versus uh, the culture in, in different parts of LA is different, let alone, you know, I don't know, New York versus Montana or Florida versus sure. Michigan, you know, to give some examples. And similarly, I think I was always wary, um, like when Americans would, you know, make jokes about France or the French, I, you know, I didn't really enjoy that. Um, because, well, <laughs> you know, at one level, it's ignorant. And, um it's also just not true. 
Well, yeah, and it's a it's this whole stereotyping that, you know, seems to be just an easier way of trying to categorize right. people, but it does everybody a disservice and, you know, exactly. whittles down people's humanity. So I, I mm-hmm. totally understand. And also your your point, even though it's it's so obvious um, when you think about just how vast America is, but it's almost it almost bears reminding uh, when you're in conversation right. with I mean, I'm not going to speak for for all foreigners, but certainly <laughs> with other French people when they're discussing yeah, America, just yeah. how incomparable most of the country really is. Um, yeah. it, how difficult it is to try to paint, you know, an American from one spot uh, with a similar brush as 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 from another. So there's it's dangerous territory, certainly to do that. Um, exactly. But I'm wondering how yeah. does your how has your background then and your your you know kind of unique perspective on France, mm-hmm. how does that differ from that of, I don't know, a typical American who looks to France, perhaps with mm-hmm. not as much nuance or with, you know, rose-colored glasses? Um, mm-hmm. uh, what do you, if you had to sort of um, sum up a, a, a clear difference between those perspectives, what, you know, what, what comes to mind? Um, great question. Um I think um, since I have both this feeling of being inside and, and getting certain things, especially since I started, you know, engaging with French culture as a child. So there are some things that are just not shocking to me um, and that, that shocked me in American culture when I went back to American school. Like um, what? Um, just like the, the focus on politeness and decorum, you know, in the classroom. Mm. Like I remember very well, we would stand up when the principal walked in and Oh, wore a uniform. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was very, I mean, the school I went to was also very, I mean, this is something to, to discuss the fr- French education system. I mean, when I was on that campus, it was like being in France. Um, huh. So that was, that was quite interesting, but it was, it was also a bit strict, um, which, yeah, I think uh, is not ideal in, in some ways, but um to, to answer your question, I think my perspective actually, you know, makes me very aware of the fact that both American and French culture c- include all of these other cultures, you know, that, hmm. that um, when you speak about an American, like many Americans, you know, either their parent or their grandparent or their great grandparent is from somewhere, somewhere else, or maybe they know a bit of some language or, or their parents are, you know, speak another language. And similarly with France, I mean, there's this book I was thinking about, it's called The French Melting Pot by a historian called uh, Gérard Noiriel. It's about, you know, the different waves of immigration to France. Um, and there have been many. Um, and I think, you know, broadly speaking, I'm very aware of that. And in fact, that shaped when I was working on my, my dissertation at first, what the theme that interested me was the role of the foreign in the new wave, the French new wave, the, the late 1950s and sixties film movement, huh. because I was thinking, well, this, like Agnès Varda has Greek origins. Um, there's Charles Aznavour, who's Armenian. Um, what else? Uh, Jean-Luc Godard was uh, half Swiss. You know, Gene Seberg was American. You know, mm-hmm, I was thinking, mm-hmm. well, you know, the new wave is is this sort of French product. And then meanwhile, there were all these co-productions. So, you know, 
you know, what is a French film exactly? And the same goes today, you know, usually films and TV series are co-productions between, you know, at least two, if not uh, a few more countries. Mm-hmm. So I was always kind of sensitive to that. Um, and, but, you know, the rose-colored glasses, it's interesting because I, you know, I love all the things that people love about France and Paris. Um, I really do love France and French culture. There, there's a lot that I, that I really appreciate, but I think, I think I have a, I think I'm interested in, in digging deeper, I guess. Right, right, right. Um, well, that's your, that's yeah. your research, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> what do you call it? Like your, your inkling and your, your, your mm-hmm. eagerness to research and to, you know, it's sort of mm-hmm. like the journalist thing. You always want to go deeper. Okay. You want to understand more. Um, exactly. well, so this is very interesting and you're bringing into, uh, the conversation, what I wanted us to discuss also, which is, you know, how you mm-hmm. then got into this role of, of, I mean, as you said, you did a dissertation, so you have your PhD in, um, mm-hmm. in, in this particular in French in French cinema or French? Well, it's funny because I was actually in a literature department called French and Romance Philology, and there there was actually quite a bit of literature and philology. Um, but my dissertation is on cinema, and uh, I was always—I mean, I didn't quite know what I was doing at first, but ultimately. Um, I wrote about cinema. So. Okay. So <laughs> for you, it sort of made sense, regardless of your background um, mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a French citizen, uh, to study in Paris. Yes. Did you, you knew you were going to eventually, you know, get yourself over here to do research and to study for different lengths of time or different, at different points of your education? Yeah, so I I remember very well in uh, in in high school I had a, a a very nice teacher. Her name's Marion Klieger, who who was my French teacher. Actually, there's a funny story. Um, so I actually after going to that French school, I think until fourth grade, um, I had to switch schools, and um, I didn't study French at all for several years. And in high school, I finally had the chance. And I was, you know, really, I was probably losing my skills. And um, in in high school, I, I really wanted to learn Spanish. And by the way, I still do. Uh, but the, <laughs> the class was so, I mean, I, I hope this, this person surely isn't listening. But it was so bad that I was like, I can't do this. I mean, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to take French. <laughs> so it's really thanks to that. Spanish teacher <laughs> who was in <laughs> over his head that I ended up back on the French path. <laughs> well, hey, you know, it's not always about learning what you want to do with your life. It's also about learning what you don't want to do. And so exactly. At least in that um, point of your life, Spanish was not in the cards. <laughs> no, I mean, I would really love to get back into it. But that's how I ended up in this French class. And this teacher was a very encouraging teacher who was who was into the arts. And, and she also taught a course called Art and Society. And, you know, we read Rilke. And she was just very passionate about Paris. I remember the first time she drew the arrondissement, you know, the snail shape mm-hmm. on the chalkboard. And I was like, ooh, because my, you know, even though my parents had met in Paris, and I think that was a motivator for me, it was a motivating uh, factor. I was, you know, curious about that. Um, I had, you know, not really spent time in Paris. And um, so relatedly, the other thing is, in this class, we watched this film by Cédric Clapiche called Chacun cherche son chat. I don't know if you're familiar. It's this old. No, but it's a, it sure is a tongue twister. <laughs> totally. I'm like, ah, shh, shh, shh. 
Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, that takes place, I think, near Bastille. So in the 11e. And I remember seeing that. And, and that film, actually, I have not seen it since then, by the way. Um, so hopefully I won't hate it if I see it now. But I remember seeing the rooftops of Paris, you know, of the 11e in in that film. And I was like, huh, I want to live there. <laughs> I want to go to Paris. Yeah. So I really remember that, that that's the Paris I want to live in, you know, not the poster Paris, you know, Le Chat Noir or whatever, you know, those cliche posters we see like this, like kind of real life, interesting neighborhood with real people, cast of characters. That's where I want to live. And I think that's what actually really, you know, planted the seed in my head. And so in college, yeah, I really wanted to spend a year in Paris and, and that's what I did. And and if you're in Paris right now, which you are, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and that's also what sort of connected us, um, yeah. it's because you're back doing research again, but also are you in the 11th again? I sure am. And I'm very happy <laughs> to be here. Yeah, I finally, well, actually I've lived in the, I've spent time in the 11th, you know, in the past, but this particular neighborhood actually does remind me very much of of the vibe of that film. <laughs> so, you, so you've come for a full circle, essentially. Yeah. Um, My adolescent dreams have been fulfilled. <laughs> been fulfilled. <laughs> well, so, so then, you know, let's get to the sort of the thing that connected us, which was, mm-hmm. you know, this very amusing, almost Johnny Halliday level um, memorial for right. Belmondo when he died. Um, and so I'm curious you know, what is, what is the way, what is the lens that you, um, you give to French cinema in your work and, Mm -hmm. and what is, what should we know? What should, what should listeners know, especially, particularly those who are interested in French cinema or have at least seen a lot of these old films, what Mm -hmm. do you hope that they can, um, think about the next time they're watching these films? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I I try to do in my work, but in an organic way, meaning I'm not, you know, imposing it, but really searching for the connections is to situate uh, late 1950s and early 1960s French cinema. So some of the works of the French New Wave and then also Cinema Verité, which was a documentary tradition that actually, you know, blended documentary with fiction in the broader context of the end of the French Empire the dissolution of the French colonial empire, which was, of course, a long process. Um, But with the um, decolonization, the formal or official decolonization of most of France's sub-Saharan African colonies in 1960, and then in 1962, the end of the long Algerian war, this was really, you know, the moment when um, there was quite an awareness of, of what was happening. It was a turning point. Um, at least, you know, it was a turning point in, in many ways, including in people's minds. Yet these films, a lot of these famous films, including Breathless, Abou de Souffle, uh, starring Jean-Paul Belmondo, which was made in 19, which was released in 1960, um, they're not really considered in relation to that broader context. Now, of course, that wasn't the only thing going on. Um, this was a period of really rapid modernization. American films were a huge influence. Um, and so on, but I really, I want to say that I wanted to find a way to make this connection, but really it wasn't like that. It's, it's really by doing research that I ended up becoming interested in the status of ethnography or anthropology, um, 
in these films because I saw that there was a connection through a specific person and his films. And that person is uh, Jean Rouch, who was uh, an interesting figure, an ethnographer, so an anthropologist, um, and, you know, an experimental filmmaker of sorts, who was really admired by these French directors, including Godard. Hmm. Um, he was really admired for the films he was making in, um, in, for example, Ivory Coast or just outside of Ivory Coast. Um, and one of those films um, was called Moi en Noir um, from around 1958. And um, without getting into too many details, that film really inspired Godard when he was making Breathless. So I was thinking, and, and, and you know, I'm not the first to notice this. I should make that clear. There's a lot of... Um, great scholarship uh, on this entire period and on Jean Rouch. But I was really kind of thinking there, you know, more, more can be done with this. This is pretty significant that this, you know, quintessential French film is inspired by an ethnography made in Ivory Coast just before decolonization. Um, and so that's kind of what got me on my journey. But, you know, broadly speaking, um, in a way, my work on 1960s French cinema tries to connect it or make it more relevant to today, you know, mm. because I think I feel that sometimes those films are seen as, you know, kind of relics of the past. Sure. And they're actually quite relevant. They really foreshadow a lot of, of what we see today in French society and the world. But um, would you argue that the... Um, sort of the 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 foreshadowing um mm -hmm. was unintentional i mean was there was there a deliberate mm -hmm. um mm, great question. A, a deliberate choice to i guess um you know set these stories in these locations mm -hmm. in these among these among these populations uh, these colonial uh populations mm -hmm. um as an as a as a way of bringing commentary Mm -hmm. to, you know, what France was involved with? Or is it simply, mm -hmm. well, it's normal, this is an extension of France, and therefore, this is mm -hmm. where we're going to tell these stories, mm -hmm. and this is where we can set them. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just sort of wondering how how deliberate or intentional it was mm -hmm. as, a, as a criticism, or is that really something we're just seeing now? Well, that's a really important question, because I think for Jean Rouge, when he was making those films, it was absolutely deliberate because he was an ethnographer. And that's what an ethnographer would do, a French ethnographer. And, and I, I should add that the French tradition of ethnography or really ethnology is what it's called. Anthropology is a very unique and, and rich one. Um, so Jean Rouge, crucially, was really embedded in that tradition. He was part of that tradition. He worked with Marcel Griol. Um, mm. He screened his films at the Musée de l'Homme, you know, the, the, you know, which now, you know, the, the Musée de l'Homme collections are, are associated with Quai Branly. Um, but at the time, that was really the, the anthropology, the site of anthropology. So um, what's really interesting to me is that Rouge in the 60s, and this is a big part of my project, actually made several films in Paris. Um, simultaneously, he continued to make films in the former colonies. But the fact that he made these films in Paris, including a really important and really interesting one called Chronique d'un été, Chronicle of a Summer, uh, in 1961, that was released. His, you know, that isn't really questioned that much. And to me, 
Well, really, my argument on some level is that there's a sort of auto-ethnographic gaze emerging in French cinema um, in the 1960s, so that their awareness or sensitivity to this idea of ethnography, of anthropology, whatever it was, um, that they actually start saying, huh, we, I guess we could study ourselves too. I guess we're not, you know, the center of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, you know, Parisians are kind of like a a tribe of sorts, too, with their own codes, their own rituals and so on. So even when this was facetious, even when it was just kind of in passing, um, I'm not saying that these people were trying to make ethnographies necessarily. But there's really a strain in the films of that period where you you if you look at it through the lens of or through this broader context of ethnographic filmmaking, you sort of see that that there's a growing self-awareness. Um, and I find that really interesting because that's not how those films are typically seen. So when you're saying self-awareness, however, you're not necessarily saying that at the time these ethnographers or, or the filmmakers, you know, those, mm-hmm. those who mm-hmm. I guess wouldn't necessarily be considered actual ethnographers, um, mm-hmm. they're not exactly saying or, 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 they're not suggesting that mm-hmm. France's imperialism was a bad mm-hmm. thing. There's no, not necessarily that level of critique. Right. This is, they're not activists. Um, this isn't necessarily militant filmmaking. And in fact, that's what I find interesting. So some of these filmmakers, um, and again, it's, it's actually not the same across the board, but some of the filmmakers whose works I, I analyze are um, Chris Marker and Alain René, who made a very um, important film called Les Statues Meurtes Aussi, uh, Statues Also Die, which, which, which is about imperialism. And it's a very, it's an, it, it's an important anti, anti-imperial film. And it was censored for a very, very long time, actually. Um, <laughs> but it's not, in the project, it's not that film I'm studying. I'm actually studying the films they made in metropolitan France. And so those two directors do have, they were more, they were among the more um, politically active, let's say, but Mm -hmm. this wasn't necessarily um, this kind of autoethnographic trend or awareness, uh, in my view, wasn't necessarily and didn't have to be um, a political act. It's almost, it can be inadvertent, in fact. Okay. Um, Yeah. So then how do, how do you understand these, um, this wave or this, this style Mm -hmm. of filmmaking, um, how do you see it as a contributor to, I guess, some of the conversations we're having today, um, Mm -hmm. or, or perhaps the films that are being produced about contemporary French society today? I know that's not your Mm -hmm. focus, but just Mm -hmm. if, even as a, as a, on, on a macro level, you know, Mm -hmm. how do you see that as an influence? So... Great question. So I think one of the the important contributions of these films is their kind of more authentic, and they're known for this authentic portrayal of of Paris, let's say, um, filming in the streets with natural light and so on. Um, and in fact, that film I mentioned, Chronique d'un été, it's really like one of the first examples of reality TV in a way. I mean, if you watch that film, it's like, yeah, they're like in people's faces asking them if they're happy. <laughs> and people are really giving them like honest opinions, you know, really unfiltered. Um, it's very touching, actually. I, I really like that film. Um, but and it, it and it's a it's a film that actually does deal with some of these questions. Um 
with the Algerian war on some level, it addresses that, albeit in a circuitous way or actually truncated, in fact, like the footage was removed. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I suppose, and there's great scholarship on, on Chronicle of a Summer, notably uh, by the scholar Sam Diorio. Um, but, but how, how does it affect today and these conversations? Well, it makes them directly relevant. You know, it gives us a way to look at, look at these films and say, well, actually that was a turning point and these films reflect that because I think when we talk about issues plaguing France and not only France um, today you know these issues are not ahistorical they have a history and so it's important to 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 know that history or to want Uh to know that history and and that history exists you know not only in the books not only through monuments not only through declarations or or paintings or or whatever it's also in the cinema. <laughs> and, um, and, and I suppose that what I find interesting is that, you know, when people think of some of these films, it's like so French, right? They think, oh, this is so French. That's the, the past. It's, it's gone. Things are really different now. When actually um, these films are, are very much tied to and, and actually quite engaged with the moment in which they're emerging. Um, huh. And that includes... Uh, the process of, of decolonization and and everything that comes with that, that obviously has not been uh, fully dealt with. Well, no. And, and, and what no. we're talking about as being, you know, the issues plaguing society today right. are specific issues around identity that I feel like I constantly mm-hmm. talk about on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah. that, you know, it's just the ongoing... Uh, debate and and certainly as you mm-hmm. know um we're in an election year and these are th- th- this will forever i don't i don't see a time or i can't mm-hmm. at least you know believe we will live a time where identity and french identity which has been so uh so, mm-hmm. so very much at the heart of you know over over the course of generations of what has mm-hmm. been a, a, a difficult theme for the French to mm-hmm. to navigate, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't see it never not having this place um, in, in mm-hmm. public discourse. But certainly, you know, I think it's very interesting to consider, um, at least in people's minds, that some of these films and surely literature at the time as well mm-hmm. could have, you know, could continue to teach us something about what we're going through today. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. I, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking back to what you said about um, uh, filming in the streets and the and the idea that mm-hmm. it was actually perhaps more authentic. And the word authentic is so complicated, so fraught usually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's it's a word we're using yet again now to talk about, mm-hmm. um, you know, more modern depictions of Paris, um, whether mm-hmm. that's in Lupin or Dupontson mm-hmm. or the god awful Emily in Paris. Um, <laughs> but there's a reason. There's a reason this is this is a theme that keeps coming up, and I wonder. And again, mm-hmm. you would probably Which is know inauthentic Emily in Paris, from what I understand. Yeah, I will not watch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just sort of wondering whether that was an issue, and maybe maybe you can't answer this, but just mm-hmm. you know whether this idea of authenticity and representation, even of a place, mm-hmm. you know, so Paris at that time, mm-hmm. whether that was important to people. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just didn't have enough of a, you know, they didn't travel as much. They didn't necessarily see, uh, you know, different depictions. Or maybe there wasn't the idea to mask it. I mean, I, obviously, you said they took mm-hmm. out, they truncated bits of, um, mm-hmm. and that was the, the, you know, war. For the censors. They 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 preemptively, they knew that they would have problems, and so they 
Hmm. You know, didn't include those parts. Yeah. But I guess I just wonder how much, you know, the, the, the faithfulness to a place mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and sort of trying to do it justice was as important then. And that's, that's maybe just a matter of opinion as well. You know, like what you think having, you know, spent so much time watching mm-hmm. all of these new wave films, mm-hmm. how, how true to the era do you think it was with respect to Paris? Um, great question. I, I do think that faithfulness to a place and the deep understanding of a place, or at least trying to have a deep understanding of a place or even a thing before depicting it is really important. Um, at the same time, you know, in these films, it, the, the Paris we see is the world of the filmmakers, right? And their actors. So we're not, you know, these aren't like social documentaries trying to show us, you know, the seedy underbelly of this or that neighborhood or, or, or which exists, you know, there, there are many, many films um, on, you know, neighborhoods and, you know, struggling families and so on. So, sure. so that wasn't necessarily the goal. So, you know, it's funny because these films could be called self-centered, but actually um, I think that's what's interesting about them. Hmm. Um, if we look at it from this different angle, because actually when you say this faithfulness to place, that was actually one of the big ideas um, that Jean Rouge, that ethnographer who inspired um, some of the new wave and 1960s filmmakers, he actually uh, wrote an article about how depiction of of foreign places or non-French places should be authentic. Like we should strive for that. Um, Hmm. And it's also kind of against, you know, uh, filming in a studio or really presenting a stereotype, a stereotypical, you know, representation of, of others. So, so, I mean, I, I don't think I have a ready-made answer for you, but I think it's quite interesting because that is actually key. This idea of, of trying to seize a reality instead of providing a kind of folkloric example, you know, whether it's absolutely a distant land or of Paris. (laughs) And I think you do that also in your work. It's, it's part of what's, you know, motivating you in a way. Um, yeah, to, no, to I try. Present something I s- real. I certainly try to, um, and and mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure I could keep pushing myself to do even better. Um, but it's 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 just a you know, it's a it's a sticking point for me. It's a it's a point mm-hmm. of frustration, and mm-hmm. you know, I think while I I could never imagine myself in any sort of long academic program like a PhD <laughs> to do research on any one theme <laughs> like this. Um, I, I do think there are parallels in in sort of the way mm-hmm. we become very attached to a certain mission, a certain mm-hmm. subject Absolutely. and trying to pursue that um, any way we can. So mm-hmm. I guess you and I are, are more similar than we, <laughs> despite me not being an academic. Um, <laughs> and me not th- a journalist. <laughs> well, but, you know, these are still important c- contributions Absolutely. to to the broader world of scholarship. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess to, to leave people with something uh, that's, you know, you've mentioned a whole host of films that I will put in the show notes so people can, mm-hmm. you know, go through and say, okay, I'm going to watch this. I've seen this, want to see this again. Um, what, what else could they read or, or potentially what other films that you haven't mentioned are worth picking up and exploring to further their understanding of, uh, of this uh, sort of this, viewpoint on new wave great question so i would add so i think i already mentioned breathless abu de souffle chronique d'un été chronicle of a summer uh, les statues meurtes aussi which i think mm-hmm. is on youtube by the way um i would add um 
There are two films I actually really like and, and would like to write about, um, but haven't at length yet. There is a film by Usman Semben um, called Black Girl. Uh, it's La Noire de Ellipsis. And I believe that's from 1966 or around then. That mm -hmm. is an excellent film for understanding how uh, even after formal, the formal end of the empire, it really wasn't over and, and, and you know, the same hierarchies and issues lingered. So that's just, you know, in, within that decade, you know, we're not even talking about the present. Um, so there's that film. And then um, what else? <laughs> I really like I, and write about a lesser known film called Paris Vu Par, Paris Seen By. And it's an omnibus film. And um, I think the English translation is obviously not a literal one. It's Six in Paris. Um, and it includes... Yeah, I see that. Yeah, it's shorts by Godard, Romer, Chabrol, um, and Rouche. And then I also think another interesting film, which in my opinion does not fall. So, so I should, I really quickly, I should mention that what I'm, when I'm talking about ethnography, I'm referring to imperial ethnography. There was actually such a thing as domestic ethnography, but side note, um, Another film, of course, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, sorry, it's like so much info, is uh, Cleo from 5 to 7, Cleo de 5 à 7 by Agnès Varda, which is a fantastic film. Well, and I'm always happy to put forward the work of Agnès Varda, who is just yes. incredible, uh, or was mm -hmm. incredible, I should say. Um, so that's great. Yeah. Um, this is this is so fascinating, and it gives me <laughs> a whole new reason to, to rewatch a bunch of old films. Um, interestingly, when I was in college, and you know, studying French uh, literature and and mm -hmm. I mean, sort of culture in general, we didn't watch any of these films. I watched Manon des Sources. Oh yeah, I watched that too. Manon des Sources, and I watched um, uh, something that was more contemporary at the time called Les Enfants du Siècle about Georges Sand and Alfred de Musset, and it was oh, okay. You know, I haven't seen that. Which mm -hmm. became sort of one of my. I mean, I'm, I, I love that film still, even though it is. You know, I don't even think it was well received in France. Um, mm -hmm. But to my, you know, I think I watch it still as a college student, um, yeah. enamored with mm -hmm. that idea of 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 storytelling and that you know that particular depiction of a uh, of a time and two mm -hmm. two literary figures who are known to have been so enamored with each other. But mm -hmm. again, my 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 references are so very different from all the films you've talked about today. So it gives me. Lots to, to think about and, and, and to go watch. Um, and I hope everyone who's listening will go do the same. Um, Laure, can you just, um, to close, can you just tell us, you know, what, what your uh, research, uh, your, your dissertation is going to be called and where people might be able to read your even scholarly work? Oh, um, thanks. So the, the title of, so I'm working on a book. It's currently under review. Um, and the, the process is kind of a long one, but hopefully in a couple of years, it'll be out there in the world, <laughs> I know. Um, hopefully. But um, so I don't know what the exact title will be, but part of the title will definitely include something like ethnography and national identity in 1960s French cinema. Um, other than that, I'm working on a piece right now, I, I, uh, which will hopefully be published uh, soon. I can't yet tell you where, but uh, if you look me up in a week, you might see it. <laughs> That's on contemporary French cinema. 
Um, oh. And on a film that actually has a really deep and strong sense of place. It's called Si le vent tombe, Should the Wind Drop. Uh, and it's by a French-Armenian director. And it's really brilliant. So, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that is a that is a 2020 film. Um, mm-hmm. So certainly that should be accessible to people uh, on online, I, I believe. But uh, I guess everyone will just have to Google your name and find your work. <laughs> um, but Lo, it's been so fascinating to talk to you. Thank you, and and let's have Thank you back you. on, per- perhaps to talk about I'd love a very to. specific contemporary film that I'll you know Why at that not? point I'll give you yeah. the homework to watch it and then comment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. This is really fun. That's the show for today. As always, thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing with friends. You can find all previous episodes of the New Paris podcast wherever you stream your podcasts and on World Radio Paris. If you're enjoying these conversations, please consider picking up a copy of the New Paris book or my recent release, The New Parisienne, from your local booksellers. Until next time, à bientôt.